0: and I thought I'd share it with you. He writes, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had ever joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given their own selves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church in the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world That phrase he uses there, I loved, "'Imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us.'" Church is not perfect, but it is a place that God has called us to be a part of and to live our lives in. And Ephesians is going to to pick up this idea of the church in our lives, and I'm hoping that it will encourage us and, and challenge us as we think about the church and its role in our lives as believers So, towards that end, let's stand together and read from Ephesians, starting in chapter 17. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word as you're able. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Paul writes to us He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Father, we uh, ask in these uh, moments that you would just simply uh, teach us, that you would instruct us, and that you would remind us of all that you are and what you've called us to be and to do. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? Uh, Seminary President uh, David Sebastian tells the story of his son one day riding into his garage as he was there working and his son saying, dad, you've got to come. There's this crazy lady in the field. You've got to come and see her. Now, David at the time was a pastor in a small town. And so being a pastor in that um, demographic, so to speak, it was on his job description. If there's a crazy lady in the field, then he needs to go and and see what's going on. And this crazy lady was in the field. She was uh, coming from out of town. She had just gotten off a bus and she was uh, had no money, which is why she landed up, wound up there in, the, in this place, in this small town. And she got off the bus, and she was met by some, some folks there, and they began to understand her need. And soon the, the police came involved in her life, and they said that, you know, we've got a, a place for you to stay, but like a homeless kind of shelter. We know that you're, you're down on your luck, so to speak. We've got a place for you. Uh, we'd love for you to be there. And they tried to guide her uh, towards that, that place, but she was resistant because they said to her, you can't have your dog there. She had this little puppy uh, with her, and he said, you can't have your dog there, and she would have to give up this dog. And so she just, in a panic, she just takes off, and she starts running. And that's how she's found herself in this field, just breathless and, and uh, not knowing what to do and feeling confused and feeling overwhelmed because there's, there's a group of people from the town that have kind of Surrounded her there in the field, they followed her out there, and they 're concerned for her and wondering what's what 's going on here and that 's when the pastor David comes and and catches up uh, with her in this field and he talks to the police officers for for a moment and they fill him in on on what has transpired with this woman here in this field and all that's that 's happened and david uh, the pastor comes out and he begins to talk uh, to this woman, approaches her very quietly and just very pastorally, I guess. And uh, he asked her, you know, what's your name? And just in a, in a whisper, she says that her name is, is Mandy. And she said, that's great. It's nice to meet you. I'm Pastor David. And uh, he asked her, where are you from? And he says, well, I'm, she says, I'm from Missouri. And when she says Missouri, it just clicks with her because this is Mandy from Missouri. And he turns to her and he says, you know, Mandy, I've, I've, I know about you. I've got a friend that's a pastor where you're coming from and he has written me and he's told me all about you. And he pulls out this this letter, this, this sheet of paper that he has and he says, look right here, it, it mentions you and it mentions the pastor and Mandy remembers this pastor putting her on this bus and sending her this way but she doesn't know exactly why and she, the place and the time, everything's kind of escaped her there. But she sees it written out, this plan that, that, that's for her, written on this letter about her. And she sees that, and that just makes all the difference in the world for her. That Somebody has written about a plan for her, and it gives her hope. It gets her out of that field. It gets her to uh, settle down in a place, and it gets her to start working in this community. So often it makes all the difference in the world to know that there is a plan that God has for us. And Ephesians is, is that letter that God has written to us describing the plan that God has for us. And part of that plan, of course, is the church, the role of the church in our lives as believers. There's three ways I want us to talk about uh, the church from this passage this morning. I want to talk about the uniqueness of the church. I want to talk about the necessity of the church And finally, I want to talk about the marks of the church. What does it mean to be committed to God's local church? So first, the the uniqueness of the church. By uniqueness of the church, I basically mean, briefly, what makes the church the church. In a sense, a little bit about the doctrine of the church. How it is that we have a church and and what it is is in its essence. If you look at verse 17 in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul writes... And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The he being Christ and the preached peace being in essence the gospel. That the gospel was preached to you, local Ephesians. And whether you were far away, i.e. you were Gentile, you were not part of the Jewish community, you heard that, that peace preached to you and you accepted it. Whether you were near, whether you were Jewish and you were part of that community, you heard about your Messiah that has come in flesh and blood, how he has died for you and has been raised to new life. You heard that message and you believed it. In verse 15, we didn't talk about it. That made you a new humanity, made you a new people. Whether you're far away or whether you're near, regardless of your background, you're a part of God's church, so to speak. Your identity is linked to him. And because of that new identity, that new humanity, because you're a part of this church, you have that connection with Christ, you have a, a new and deep and lasting connection with other believers, with other people. Say you have a hobby, and this hobby drives you to join a, a club because you, you want to share this interest that you have with other people. And let's say it's, your interest is, is golf, and so you join a golf club, and you're able to play golf with other Individuals, you're able to talk about the game of golf. You're able to to play it together. You're able to, to pass on tips and tricks, and 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 have that experience of of golfing with other individuals. And that's kind of one level of connection that you have with them. But there's deeper, more personal ways that we connect with other people. Uh, you connect with other people, and maybe on a deeper or more personal way. When you're able to talk to somebody that shares your same race, there's an identity there that you have. Or maybe there's a, a connection you have with other people that, because you share the, the same town, uh, you're from the same place. And so you have that, that shared history that you're able to draw upon and, and talk about with one another. And that's one level of, of, of depth there. But bring that into what Paul is talking about here. And he's saying when you, when you become a believer in Christ, when Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, it certainly means you're connected with God, but you're also connected with other fellow believers. And so the idea is that that connection that you have with God transforms into this connection you have with other individuals. And so in a sense, there's a deep and lasting connection that you have with other people that are outside your geographic bounds, that are outside of your hobbies that you have, that, are, that go beyond your race and go beyond your culture. There's, there's a connection there that, that, that runs deeper. I can remember visiting uh, Russia and meeting these these men and women who were, were Christians who grew up in Russia and put their faith and trust in Christ. There was a connection that I had with them because they loved Jesus. They loved the gospel, and they loved talking about it, and they were desirous of God's kingdom coming into uh, their country, into those bounds. We had that connection. We had that bond, even though it was hard to talk. And we had this incredibly different backgrounds and different... Economics and so many differences about us, but we had that connection. Paul goes on in verses nineteen and, and 20, through twenty-two to talk about. He shares three metaphors or three kind of illustrations of this new relationship that we have with God and this new relationship that we have with one another. There's there's three there briefly mentioned. Uh, he says that we're citizens with God's people. Uh, certainly, you know, earthly citizenship. You're an American. There are certain rights and privileges that you have as a citizen of this country. There are certain rights and privileges that you have as a citizen of heaven. And Philippians uh, chapter 3 talks about that some. And then Paul goes on to mention that you are members of his household. This is family language. You're a part of God's family. You belong to him. You have brothers and sisters that you identify with and are connected to. And then Paul goes on to say that church is also like a building joined together or a temple, using that temple language. You've got building blocks stacked on one another, and Christ and God lives within those bounds. He lives connected there. I, I never noticed this, but there's a progression that takes place with these three uh, illustrations, if you will, or these three metaphors. Each one, as, as you progress, gets, is, is closer and closer in intimacy, meaning that we're, we're, they, they give a picture of, of one who is closer and closer to God. You have a a king in a country and he identifies with that country because he lives in those bounds and he rules there. And then you take that, there's a deeper relationship of family. The father lives in the same household with his children. And then you have this imagery of of the temple or of a building and building blocks being stacked upon one another and God dwells in that space. Each one of them progressively closer and closer in our our identity and, and intimacy with God. But there's a progression, not only vertically, but there's a progression horizontally as well. Because that you are the idea of, of citizens, that you live with other citizens and you share that, that social contract as members of that country, so to speak. As, as a family, you're knighted by blood. You're, you're brother and sister, and that, that draws you uh, even closer together than just being a citizen of the same country And then it comes to the idea of a a building. Christians are like blocks in a building. They're they're, they're grouped together. They're stacked upon one another where Christ dwells in our midst. And so this progression of further and further intimacy or closeness with other believers. And as we wind down this point, there's one question for you to, to think about. Does your involvement with church reflect... What Paul is describing here. The, the images and the illustration and, and being a citizen and, and connected with a Heavenly Father and belonging to a local body of, of believers and connected because of everything that Christ has done for you and in you does, does the, the, the richness of these metaphors, of these illustrations, the closeness, the intimacy, is that a picture of how you are involved in church? Because participating once a month Uh, Half the year, does that reflect what Paul is describing here? Uh, Where are you in relationship to the church? If you've been called into a relationship with Christ, how are you measuring, how would you, you gauge your relationship to the church with the local body of believers? Which leads to the next point, the necessity of the church. And by necessity of the church, it's just simply my case for why church membership is so important and is really so necessary. In verse 19, Paul writes You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You would think that church membership would be just a no brainer, just based upon what we've talked about before. Uh, You think about the cost of being a member of a church. It took a price that you could not pay. It took the the perfect Son of God to come in response to the Father to die in our place, to do something that we could not do. That was the price that was paid so that we could belong to this body called the church. You think about the benefits of being a part of the church, being a part of God's people. They will never end that God's love for us is never going to run out, his wisdom is never going to run out, his patience is never going to run out, his, his power, his spirit, all those things are never going to run out. They're continually benefiting us and growing us in the fellowship, the, the potential for intimacy, the potential for, for closeness, the potential to have people in your life that, that love you well, that are there for you, that, that they, they know your strengths, they know your weaknesses, and they still accept you. They're there praying for you when you need it, and you're praying for them and encouraging them and, and walking with them when they need it as well. The potential for, for, for depth of fellowship is immense, but for whatever reason, church membership today is something that just is lacking. Maybe it's the word membership that's, that's such a problem because when we hear membership, we think membership in a local, uh, civic organization or a local, local organization where you pay your dues, you pay your, your fees, so to speak, you attend, uh, the meetings, uh, you fulfill your, your obligations. And if you get busy or you are moving away, then you just stop paying. You stop that membership and, and withdraw from it. But being a part of God's church is, being a member of his church is, is different from that. Think about Ephesians 5 and how, how Paul describes Christ and the church in that relationship. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then he says this, Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. To be identified with, with Christ means, that, of course, as we've said, that you're identified with other individual Christians And so if you pull away from the church, if you withdraw, if you create distance, then you're pulling away, in a sense, from Christ. You're distancing yourself from Christ. You're distancing yourself from his nourishment, from his strength, from his presence in your life. And some of you at this point are thinking, and some of you heard the argument, I'm a Christian, and and that's enough. I I know that I belong to this this body, and I I don't need to pledge myself to an individual local group of believers. Just being a Christian is enough. And this is picking up on the idea I don't need to be part of a local church because I'm part of God's universal church. Apostles, creed, holy Catholic church. It's that picture of I belong to a universal church that spans time and, and country and, and geography. I'm part of that group, and that should be enough. But The problem is that that just doesn't make logical sense for us because it's like saying I'm a part of the greater community without being part of a local community. If you talk to somebody and they said, you know, I play college football and you said to them, that's great. Uh, Where do you play college football? What school do you play for? I don't play for a school. I just play college football. It it just doesn't logically make sense. You can't be part of the human race without being part of of a family, about being connected to them. Some will say, well, church membership is not commanded in the the Bible. There's no passage that says you must join a church. But church membership is biblical because it's assumed. Think of all the commandments in the New Testament that you could not fulfill, that you could not obey unless you're a part of a local church. Love one another. Uh, encourage one another, strengthen one another, pray for one another. All the instruction about elders and deacons, all the commandments that are there, church membership is assumed. Paul is writing to who? He's writing to the Ephesians, a local community, a local body of believers addressing them in their specific situation. And it's assumed that they are joined together in a membership there, a part of that local body. It's impossible to obey so much in the New Testament without being a part and committed to a local body of believers. The last thing, uh, the, the practice of the church. What are some of the, the marks and, and commitments of what it means to be a part of a, of a local church? And by this, you know, there's an exhaustive list. I'm going to only give you two, uh, but there's an exhaustive list that you could have. But what are some of the commitments or marks, practices that we should have when we're a part of a local church? The first mark is a commitment to growth and grace. And by growth and grace, I mean there's a commitment to, I want to be more like God, and I know I need to be more God-like. I know that where I'm at now needs to change. So there's certain things about me, sin habits, sin attitudes, um, issues, that things that, about me that need to change, and I need to grow more in his grace in my life. And what that means is that the church is a place where it's okay to struggle. The church is a place where it's okay to, to talk to somebody and say, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you encourage me? Will you support me? It's, it's a place that's safe for you to say, I'm not perfect, and not feel alienated, and not feel pushed away because you're not meeting some unmet expectation. But you're taking God's grace in your life, God's growth in your life seriously, which means we take grace seriously. We take seriously what God has done for us in our lives. So many people think God is gracious to me or God's grace is upon me, so it doesn't matter how I live because God's always going to forgive me. He's always going to be nice to me. He's always going to bless me, so it doesn't matter how I live. But that's just not how grace works in our lives. That's just not the point of God's grace. In Romans 6, 1, Paul says, shall we all sin the more so that grace may abound, it says may it never be. That's not how we grow in grace. We grow in grace when we embrace Christ's death and life for us. When we see that he died for the forgiveness of my sins, that he gave me mercy, that he gave me life, and it's something I did not deserve, but it was a gift to me. It was a grace to me. And you embrace that gift, and you move in your life wanting to live a life that's pleasing to him. And so the church is a place where we're committed to growth and grace, committed to following him, pursuing him, doing things that bring him glory and honor. Are we perfect? No. And so there's freedom to struggle. There's a freedom uh, to grow in his grace. The second mark of the church is service. The second mark is service. And behind this is the idea that God has gifted you as an individual with certain talents, with certain resources, with certain uh, gifts that are not just for you. They're not for you exclusively, but for, they're for others. And what's behind this is that as a church, we are less, we are not as good as we could be if you are not using those gifts, if you are not participating in our life as a local church. We are less. We are not as good as we could be. We're not as great as we could be. That, that we're, we're not as deep as we could be. There, there's a shallowness that will remain unless and until you're using your gifts and your talents in our life as a church, meaning that church is not something that you attend, but church is something that you participate in. That you are known and other people know you. It's that, that church membership is a relationship where, where you're engaging in the life of the body. You're receiving and you're giving. You're growing and you're submitting. You're following and obeying. And for some of you, that, that participation, that next step of participation, simply means that you're moving into something that's beyond a Sunday service. Participation may be meaning, I'm going to go to a Sunday school. We've got three adult Sunday schools. All viable options for you to, to spend your time in, to commit to, and be with that group of people. People that you can pray for and you can be prayed with, that, that you can be challenged, that you can be taught. Or maybe it's, it's Wednesday nights where you, you, you want to more fellowship with people and have a meal and, and hear more and talk more about the sermon or what's something that's relevant for our lives as Christians. There's something more that you want to participate in. Or maybe it's a, a women's Bible study. To go to, or maybe it's other events that, that we do at the church. What is that next thing that, that you need to do to participate in the life of this church? Again, we are not as good as we could be if you are not involved. For some of us, maybe the next step is not necessarily uh, participating in another event, but it's serving. It, it's serving, it's, it's giving of our time and, and our talents and, and our personalities and, and our, our energy towards something. But maybe it's going to Lake Mary Nursing Home on Sunday afternoons. And, and ministering to those individuals there. Maybe it's helping us on Wednesday nights once a month with these, these snack kits things that we do. Maybe it's helping organize the, the, the marriage conference and, and serving there. Uh, maybe it's uh, we need somebody to help run the soundboard sometimes. If you love, if not afraid of technology, we'd love for you to, to learn how to do that. What do you want to do? What do you like doing? And find a place. To serve, find a place to plug in. If you can't think of something, talk to me. I'll show you something that you can do, a way that you can serve in this community as a local church. Let me close with one story and then we'll, we'll pray. Uh, Garrison Keeler tells the story of a woman named uh, Lydia. And Lydia uh, was living and grew up in Lake, Lake, Lake Wobegin. And she's bored with Lake Wobegon. She's lived there for a, a long time. She has a rich history there, and she's just tired of it. Tired of the routine. It's just not fun for her anymore, so to speak. And she just wants to leave. She wants to have an adventure. And so she she leaves and she goes to New Orleans. And she sets up there, and it's fun. It's exciting. There's all kinds of stuff to do. It's there's all kinds of things that are interesting to be a part of, and it's just a blast. But then the shine of New Orleans starts to wear off on her, and she thinks, gosh, this is getting boring. Maybe I need somebody that's going to show me special attention. Maybe it's somebody that's going to tell me that I'm, I'm show me how important I am to them. So she says, maybe I need a, a man in my life. And she meets this guy, and they have this relationship, and they begin to live together. And this guy disappoints her as well, bores her as well. He's basically a loser. He can't hold down a job. He drinks too much, and she's tired of him. She's tired of her life, and she's back again to just being bored and stuck and feeling lifeless. And so one morning she wakes up, and her boyfriend is still asleep, and she leaves some money on the TV to cover rent, and she leaves. She gets on a bus, and she goes back home. And she gets back home, and it's home. It's familiar. She knows the streets. She knows the smell. She knows the, the routines and the patterns and the characteristics that are there. But it's not home for her. And she hears people whisper about her. She knows people are talking about her. And, and she's just not connected and, and doesn't feel welcome as she once did before she left because she's changed, because she is so different, because of the experiences that she's had. But it's home and she's there and she's staying there thanksgiving time holiday time and she's with her family they've had this big meal and big family everybody together there and and she's kind of going through the paces of the meal but just feeling distance and not feeling in place there desserts had and she eats her pie and she takes her plate and she brings it in the kitchen and puts it with all the other dirty plates and dishes and silverware and she just kind of pulls away she just wants to, to get away from her relatives and her family and she goes into uh, the living room. And, of course, the living room looks the same to her. You know, the same furniture, same decorations, same color paint on the walls, same uh, shelves, and same knickknacks all around. And she's just kind of wandering and just looking and observing things. Some things bring back memories for her. And then she gets to this, this section of pictures, these framed pictures. And some are very familiar familiar to her. And then she sees one picture that's familiar, but it's unfamiliar at the same time. It's a picture of herself. It's a picture of her, her senior year in high school, and she's clean and she's shiny. Her hair is is perfect. She has a perfect, beautiful outfit on, and there's a smile that's just radiant, and she's just full of life. And she looks at that picture, and she says, and she knows that, that she's just not that person anymore. But what's unfamiliar about that picture is it's at the bottom of that picture in, in, uh, slipped in between the, the the glass and the the picture itself is this little slip of paper, and typed on it are two words, "Our Lydia," and apparently she knows that it's her father that has taken and typed out "Our Lydia" and put it inside that picture frame, and that means all to her. Uh, Keeler Keeler goes on to describe this. He says, those three letters were as as jewels to her, each one a diamond that said she was treasured in this house. No matter how far she had traveled in distance or behavior, no matter how foreign her place or practices, no matter what had transpired, no matter the time passed, no matter the rumors told, the truth revealed amidst all transitions and enduring beyond them, she was a member of this family. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a member of his family. No matter transitions you see, no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what attitudes you bring to the table, nothing will change that fact. You belong to Christ, and we belong together as his family. Is our family perfect? It's not perfect. Uh, Will we disappoint one another? We will disappoint one another. I will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. Your elders, your deacons, they will disappoint you. But we are God's family. We are God's instrument for the purposes of growth in our own lives, of growth and grace and knowledge of him in our lives, but also as a light to this community. What does Jesus say they will know us by? They will know us by our love. That's why God has given us the church so that we can be and do everything that he has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we confess um, our weakness. We confess our need for the church, for our local church. We confess sometimes our weakness is expressed in, in bitterness, in busyness, in disappointment with others. And we let that crowd in and carry out the truth of all that you are and what you've done for us. Father God, would you shape us as your people? Would you draw us to yourself? Help us to be the church. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help us to be a light that points people to yourself. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.